You are listening to the Zen Nova Scotia podcast with talks by Cone Franz. These talks are made possible in part by generous donations from our listeners. To find out how to support and take part in our community, visit zennovascotia.com. Tonight we continue with this text we've been reading called Buddha Nature. And in it, Dogen continues to try to define Buddha nature by explaining what Buddha nature is not. And he's trying over and over to find the little corners of your mind where you go when you think, well, if it's not this, then it must be this. If it's not this, it must be this. He's trying to chase you to those corners and say, nope, 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 nope. Not that either. And we're in day three of this. And we might be asking ourselves, why are we still doing this? Why are we trying to define this word? And so I want to put out from the very beginning, we're not. The point of this text is not to define this term. The point of this text is to define the terms of practice. Dogen is asking us, in a somewhat indirect way. To frame the basic questions of our life differently. So we're not just defining Buddha nature, we're defining everything. And Buddha nature is just a stand-in. It's a useful word. Useful in part because it brings up a lot inside of us. And so the mistakes we might make in defining anything, our dreams or a relationship or whatever, become very clear when we take on a term like this, that we, where we want it to be something in particular. I really enjoyed the, the language of some of these things, but we have to understand there was, uh, it, it's all part of a style. One of the things that Dogen does is he, he likes to talk about, I won't so, go so far as to say that it's a straw man argument, but he sets up a, a kind of a person out there or a group of people who always make such and such mistake. And then he makes fun of them. So here he's a little bit more subtle, but he says, there have frequently been ancient elders and prior worthies, sounds nice, who have gone to the western heavens and back, or have converted and guided humans and gods from the Han and Tong, these are dynasties, through the court of the Song. They are like rice, flax, bamboo, and reeds. Rice, flax, bamboo, and reeds are indications of things that are, there are a lot of them all squashed together. It is pitiful that many of them have thought that the movements of wind and fire are the knowing and perceiving of the Buddha nature. It is because they are estranged from the study of the way that they make this mistake. This is how Dogen does this. So he says, there have been lots of great teachers. They're amazing. They've done wonderful things. They all miss the mark. 
They were good. We should respect them. But they missed the point. But he says, beginners and latecomers should not be like this. Beginners being beginners, latecomers actually also being beginners, people who have just come to the practice late in their lives. And he's saying, essentially, that, that if you don't want to make this mistake, we need to talk about it now. We want to get you off on the right foot. I have a teacher who's very fond of saying that you know, if, if you take one step in the wrong direction, every step that follows is going to be even further in the wrong direction. There are different ways to discuss that, but, but in a way, Dogen is speaking to this. He says, we may study perceiving and knowing. He just mentioned knowing and perceiving, and last time we talked about this idea. He says, who said that the Buddha nature has knowing and comprehending? He's going back to this. He says, we may study perceiving and knowing. And in fact, much of Buddhism is a study of perceiving and knowing. He says, but perceiving and knowing are not movements. Movement is very interesting. Because what we see when we read the, the body of literature that is of Dogen, that movement is kind of the fundamental quality of the world for him. So he talks about mountains walking. He likes to talk about the world being in motion. In a way, I think it's his, his uh, way of fighting back against the idea of sentient versus non-sentient. Rather than make the distinction and then say, we should include sentient and non-sentient, he just makes everything kind of sentient. So nothing is still. You could make the argument that this is him speaking of impermanence, and that would be an interesting one. But I think he's speaking of something even more surprising than that. He says, we may study perceiving and knowing, but perceiving and knowing are not movements. Which is to say, perceiving and knowing are not the same as what things really are and what they're really doing. And then he says, we may study movements, but movements are not like this. Which is to say, as soon as we isolate movement as an object of study, we divorce it from movement as he's talking about movement. We're so trapped because there is no language that goes beyond dualism. And the more we talk about non-dualism, the more dualistic it becomes. And yet he really tries. We can talk, we may study movements, but movements are not like this. 
If I imagine that movement, as he's defining movement, as he's defining this fundamental quality of the world, is something I can look at over there, then that's not what he's talking about. So the act of studying it is an act of separation. We have to do it. But it's an act of failure. We don't, we don't get closer because we can't get closer than we already are. If one has an understanding of true movement, one will understand true perceiving and comprehending. Now he's saying it in reverse. With Buddha and nature, to master one, to master that one, is to master this one. With Buddha and nature, to master that one, is to master this one. The thing and the essence of the thing are the same thing. Now, the first time that I encountered this teaching, my response was, <laughs> obviously. But what I was really hearing in my own mind was that the essence of a thing is inseparable from the thing. That's not what Dogen is saying at all. Dogen is saying that the thing and the essence of the thing are one and the same. This is what he's challenging us to ask about our lives. He's challenging the very idea of meaning. And if we continue to read Dogen, we see that he does this over and over and over again. And that Zen practice challenges this over and over and over again. We perform an action and we imagine that it means something. It has a place in a narrative. It has a value. It has a quality in our minds. What Dogen is saying is, the essence of walking down the street is walking down the street. The essence of a bow is a bow. Even as I'm saying this, it feels so obvious. But I fall into this train of thinking over and over and over and over again. I think it's our nature. So Buddha and nature, there's no distinction. And he says to master, and he's making a distinction here between study, right? Earlier he's talking about study. Now he's saying to master. To master something is to have it be part of your own experience, right? to have it be part of your own response. 
So when someone speaks to you in Spanish, you respond in Spanish. That's mastery. Right? And when someone hands you a guitar, you know where to put your fingers. That's mastery. So he's not saying to get what Buddha is, is to get what nature is. It's more like inhabiting. It's embodying. So if you are, are embodying Buddha, if you are inhabiting Buddha, then you don't have the question of what nature is or what Buddha nature is. It's right here. The Buddha nature is always the entirety of being, for the entirety of being is the Buddha nature. The entirety of being is not, and he has this in quotation marks, a hundred pieces. The entirety of being is not one strip of iron. A hundred pieces is, is code for a multiplicity of things. And a, a, a strip of iron is code for singularity. The Buddha nature isn't either one of these things. Buddha nature isn't the collective. And Buddha nature isn't somehow a oneness. Both of those are stories and both of those are rooted in dualism. You can't have oneness without an idea of two-ness. It's just a rejection of more than one. Oneness always sounds so nice, right? We fall into this. Everything is one, right? Everything is connected. That's not what he's saying. Since it is raising a fist, it is not large or small. Raising a fist is code as well. It's code for communication beyond words. I've talked before about there's a, there's a manner of giving Dharma talks in which you hold out a staff like this. That's the talk. That's the Dharma talk. And the teacher looks out and he tries to see if anyone is listening to this. And if they're not, bam. He tries to explain it with words. Because this fell apart. But the next day, he or she puts it out there again. That's raising a fist. He says, since it is raising a fist, it is not large or small. It's not this or that. Given that we are calling it Buddha nature, it should not be of equal stature with the nobles. It should not be made of equal stature 
with the Buddha nature. <laughs> and here he's saying exactly what he just said about movement. Right? Buddha nature should not be put on some pedestal with, air quotes, Buddha nature. <laughs> Buddha nature doesn't occupy some special place like Buddha nature. Stop doing that. Stop imagining that there's something special, that there is some invisible thing that you can't see that makes this right or that makes this true or that makes this clear. You're seeing it. You're seeing what there is to see. We're confronted, I think, when we, when we encounter these teachings, we're, in, we're confronted with two questions all the time. And we should take them seriously. The first question is, what if this is all there is? And the second question is, what if this is all there is? <laughs> Dogen's saying yes and yes. <laughs> I'll add one little bit because then we, it, it takes us to a different section. Dogen says, there is one group that thinks that the Buddha nature is like the seeds of grasses and trees. When the rain of the Dharma continually waters it, it sprouts and it grows. And the branches, leaves, flowers, and fruits flourish, and the fruits contain further seeds. This is the option we haven't talked about yet, right? That Buddha nature is this thing in us that just, it isn't cultivated. It's our seed, right? It's our seed of Buddhahood. And if we just cultivate it, if we give it some water, if we give it some sunshine, if we talk to it the way you talk to plants and they do better, you know, if we do whatever it is that we're supposed to do to this seed, then it grows into something beautiful. And maybe that thing also produces more seeds. It's a very beautiful idea about Buddha nature. And then he says, because he's kind of a jerk, he says, he says, he, he paints this kind of pretty picture, and then he says, to hold this kind of opinion is the sentiment of commoners. <laughs> you gotta love him. To imagine that something is always in the process of becoming is the same as ascribing meaning. It's another way of talking about the same thing, right? In the most obvious terms, if you imagine yourself to be someone in process, right? If you imagine that you have not yet fully arrived in your life and that you will be something, is obviously to miss the reality of your life. Right. 
you're viewing your life from a distance and you're evaluating it on a spectrum that is completely artificial. And you can look back to when you were 18 and you can see how far along you were toward the person that you think you will become. I have never met someone who in old age said, it turned out just the way I thought it would. <laughs> I'm waiting for that. There's a, a, a game you can play. I like to. Uh, I like these kinds of games. And it isn't pointing directly at what Dogen is saying, but, but for me it speaks to it. Next time you look at a photograph or a painting, let's say, for example, that you see uh, uh, a photograph of a gondola, and there's the guy on the back, and he's rowing the gondola, and there's a, a couple in the front, and they're clearly in love, and you can see the lights behind them and everything, and in the background, there's a little crescent moon, and, and uh, uh, maybe people in the background walking on the, the walkways. Right? Look at this, and regardless of what the original title is for this painting, give it a title that's something like The Moon. Get out of the foreground. Get out of this idea of what, what the, the painting is asking us to look at and allow for the fact that that doesn't have to be what this picture is. I read just recently, and it, it, I really was struck by it, of a, a teacher, a Tibetan teacher, I don't remember who it was, who uh, he just drew on the chalkboard, he drew a picture of a bird. And he asked everyone, what's this a picture of? And everyone said, it's a bird. And he said, no, it's a picture of the sky. That's huge. Because it's true, right? We can look at a 12 by 12 painting with a bird in it, and we think it's a picture of a bird flying. And it's 1%. <laughs> Dogen is wonderful with this stuff because he'll ask, is, is the bird flying or is the, is the sky flying? And then he'll break it down and point out that it's just as true to say the sky is flying as to say the bird. Because without sky, there's no flying. Those two things are meeting in flying. We think the only problem is if you take away bird. <laughs> right? That's only half the story. You can do this with movies too. You know, take some tiny secondary character, watch the movie again and ask, what if it's this person's movie? What if it's a movie about this person? It's an intellectual game. But when you, when you really get into it, you see how 
readily, how lazily we accept the story that is being handed to us. We agree to that construct. We agree to someone else's idea of meaning. And then when we interpret the movie later over coffee, we think we're saying all these original deep things, but we're still working within the confines that were handed to us. We're looking at something very narrow. I really appreciate this set of teachings about Buddha nature because I appreciate that Dogen knew. He knew he couldn't write his one paragraph that explained what he really meant. He knew that he had to try again, and that he had to try again, and that he had to try again. And in, he only wrote, you know, so much. But you can spend your whole life playing this game of noticing the limitations that you're putting on your perception and noticing the degree to which not only you assign meaning, but that you do it unquestioningly. So that you see just that. You assign essence. To something that is complete in itself and requires no such thing to be whole. I do this all the time. I'll stop there. For more information about Zen, our practice, and how you can support and take part in our community, please visit zennovascotia.com.